Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hey, Jenny here. In the podcast that you're about to hear, we do talk about an article by Bergman in 2014 who ascertained that using antibiotics in the last trimester of pregnancy increased the risk of mastitis 25-fold. However, the authors um, do not include research citation to back this up. So at the moment, um, it's something which we can bear in mind and consider when um, caring for parents who've had antibiotics in that final trimester, um, for mums who are experiencing mastitis, it's something to consider, but it isn't something that we have rock solid evidence for at the moment. Okay, hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast and I'll let you get back to it now. Bye. Hello, it's Amy here. And it's Jenny here. Hi, Jenny. And today we're having a role reversal, aren't we? Where I'm going to be... A little bit. ...experience, like, but having not so much actual knowledge and you're going to be the expert since we have an actual real-life IBCLC now. You're making it sound like IBCLCs are a figment of the imagination. Well, the thing is, uh... they're so wonderfully... (laughs) expert and rare that you know it is a bit like having a unicorn on the podcast with me <laughs> so we're talking oh, all things mastitis dear. today aren't we yeah a little boobs. bit so I thought we'd do yeah um and so I think it's just something which is something that we commonly come across mm. and I don't think I think we're quite quick to say oh yeah, that's mastitis. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they know um, a lot of the things around management of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, there's a lot more to it than you think. Mm. Um, A bit like icebergs, you know, you only see the the tip of it, as it were. Um, And so I thought it might be really handy to have a bit more understanding about how it works and things. Um, And it's given me an excuse to do a bit of a look through um my birthday present to myself yeah (laughs) so I uh, it was my birthday back in July and I bought myself um the uh, second edition of breastfeeding answers by Nancy Moorbacker who is an amazing um American IBCLC um who is just absolute fountain of knowledge I mean Mm. this is someone who must go into their revalidation really not having to worry about whether she knows enough or not because she is just yeah she seems to just know um, everything about breastfeeding literally yeah yeah her website is amazing yeah and I mean because she's an American in America the IBCLC role has a lot more kudos mm. um, they are very much more involved in healthcare, in hospital mm. care and so I mean she's worked with like the, Amer- the American equivalent of hospital trusts and hospital health and um, sort of health authorities in making guidelines in making um, 
sort of really raising awareness of breastfeeding and mm. um, how to manage it, how to support, support it. Mm. Um, yeah, she's she's very cool. So she's the um, go-to person for our, our, our mastitis knowledge this week. And I've also got the yes. um, NICE um, clinical knowledge summary as well um, for us, so we can have a little look through that too. And also, I've had mastitis yeah. myself, so... You know all about uh, the well, not games. excellent, really not excellent as a particularly <laughs> naff part of your breastfeeding journey. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's handy. It would be interesting when we start talking about it to see what things you recognise from your own journey and things as a well. A bit of a real life scenario. Yeah, I'm happy um, to play guinea pig. I mean, on obviously, that because it's because it's me doing this one and not Amy. It's going to be a bit more. Uh, a bit more skittish, maybe a bit less organised than Amy's. <laughs> and much less waffly, I'm sure. Okay, so um, but no, where do so, you want to start then? Well, let's talk a bit about the fact that actually research around mastitis is a bit confusing. So it's not really something we can very easily talk about um, how common it is and things because mm. the research that's been done, the, the terms vary very much between healthcare professional diagnosed and self-diagnosed and obviously right. a lot of par- a lot of um nursing parents experience um symptoms of mastitis that they may well manage themselves yeah that they don't need additional help for and it's that difficult thing where you know it's like when you're doing research into absolute numbers where do you draw the line do you just yeah. count people from the point of view of them having antibiotics and beyond that mm. or are you looking at the guys who've had a blocked duct yeah um, because they are all married up um so there was a study in 2017 a uk study um by to at all who was cited by um nancy that's beyond mm. i i have spoken nancy. to nancy Morbacker virtually so i feel like i am on first name terms with her now <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right name dropping <laughs> you turned into like one of those celebrities only... that's like oh me and nancy yeah we just went to cough for coffee last week <laughs> well yeah i mean there's not much i can boast about on that sort of front so i'll take what i can um but this uk study they took 100 samples from 44 healthy breastfeeding mothers Mm -hmm. Um, from I believe none of whom thought they had mastitis and they found that a quarter of those milk samples showed markers for subclinical mastitis which could have led to full mastitis so if we look at mastitis as a and and what and that was all asymptomatic um, none of them had symptoms of mastitis yeah yeah so so if we look at mastitis as a continuum okay um, right through from subclinical through to abscess. Mm-hmm. Okay, and subclinical is like I've just mentioned there. It's like you can have it without realizing you've got it. So it's something where there is um, it, it, there's research and mastitis in dairy cattle. Mm. Um, around and subclinical mastitis can impact their milk supply. Mm-hmm. However, for for humans, it doesn't seem to impact milk supply, but there is this level of mastitis which is undetectable. You don't notice any change, 
but in your milk composition, there can be a change in the ratio of sodium and potassium. So the sodium increases, the potassium decreases, um, which could lead to baby being a little bit fussy, maybe not being as keen on the milk that time mm. point. Gosh, that's so interesting. I had no idea. Mm. The worrying time is, though, is that if you have a parent who is HIV positive, a mum who's breastfeeding, yeah. um, subclinical mastitis can lead to an increased viral load being passed on to baby. Oh, gosh. So it's, it, it's one of those weird things where you think, well, how do you keep track of something that is asymptomatic? Yeah, how apart could you possibly from manage that? in the milk. Mm. Um, and so it's just that thing of concern. But then also, I suppose, you wouldn't be encouraging someone who was HIV positive to breastfeed unless they were well managed with their treatment yeah they had to have a very low low anyway yeah so it's that thing of kind of working out but it's something which is worth having on your radar Mm -hmm. so and yeah as we said yeah from the study these symptoms can move into a higher level of mastitis so sorry before we move on to the next level is there any reason we should be worried about that subclinical level do we have any indication that it causes any problems other than in you know increasing the viral load with hiv positive mothers yeah no no okay good so it might be kind of bubbling away but we don't really it's not so much of a problem to kind of worry about it's not going to cause baby any harm or anything like that no no Something which might be of interest to consider when thinking about subclinical mm. is that if you have antibiotics in the last trimester of pregnancy, you can increase the risk of mastitis by 25 times. Gosh. Um, because it disrupts the healthy bacteria in the breast. Oh, of course. You think of antibiotics yeah. as being treatment for mastitis, so that seems counterintuitive, but then, of course... It, the antibiotics will damage all sorts of bacteria. Yeah, so it, it messes of, with the balance. That makes sense. Yeah. When you think mm. about the guys who, maybe if you've been diagnosed with group B strep mm. or anything like that, where you need antibiotics during labour or even mm. just in that final trimester, yeah, you yeah. an infection or something, yeah, these things can, yeah, can be of concern. You may want to look at using probiotics or yeah. something like that to help try and redress that balance. Because um, there is more information coming through about sort of mammary dysbiosis. Okay. So we all know about the, the microbiome um, and sort of talk about the importance of the microbiome for baby. Yeah. So this mammary dysbiosis is interruption of the breast microbiome. Gosh. So much to learn um, all the time, isn't there? Oh, completely. It's fascinating. Completely. And it just makes complete sense that, you know, yeah, the, it does. the memory is an area where you are wanting to have that right balance. Yeah, of course. It's producing this live, yeah, um, yeah, live milk substance. Yeah. Um, so it's like you know you kind of under yeah it makes complete sense how actually yeah that could cause disruption that could cause difficulty. Okay. Um, and okay. issues going forward. Um, so sorry before I interrupted you. Sorry. Sorry, I'm doing it again. Hmm. What are you going to say? It's all right. <laughs> no, so I was just going to say about, yeah, the sort of healthy microbiome in, in means maintenance of the healthy tissue, 
um, and you know, stimulating the local immune cells, mm-hmm. um, and this dysbiosis mm-hmm. um, introduces population of unhealthy organisms at the cost of healthy ones, and mm-hmm. then just increases the risk of pain, of inflammation, of infection. Okay, yeah, so I can see how that would carry through. So I suppose we could be kind of all living with some subclinical levels depending on things that might have perhaps disrupted the natural microbiota of the mammary gland. Um, but moving from subclinical levels to more clinical levels, is or do you want to... Sorry, sorry I've something. just realised, I've looked at my notes no, and realised okay. there's a little bit more to add. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. So one, one of the things to consider that can put these mothers who have these subclinical signs at less chance of developing mastitis, Mm. it comes down to giving good breastfeeding Mm counselling, good breastfeeding support, Mm -hmm. promoting early and exclusive and responsive feeding, good nursing techniques, um, and that reduces the percentage of mothers whose milk changes. Um, And again, it's that thing here, if there's one phrase I wish I could ban... I keep coming across clients I'm seeing in private practice saying that they've been told... It looks good. Health, yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Looks like a good latch. Looks like a good latch to me. (laughs) I don't think any of us realise how much weight with our clients... Yeah. ...saying that. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah, the amount of times clients have said to me, almost said to me when I've questioned about thinking that there may be an issue with their latch well but the they saw it and they yeah. said it looked good yeah the midwife saw it and they said it looked good and the first thing i would say back to me is yeah but how does it feel yeah. and then you get the well it pinches or well this is the thing i think what we don't transmit or... when we say it looks good we don't transmit that what it looks like is only one very small indicator of what it's actually like exactly well you're right though that is such a small indicator isn't it and I don't think we know when we're trans when we're saying to our clients it looks good we perhaps don't really transmit the fact that although it looks good that doesn't necessarily mean anything because how it feels is a much more important and useful indicator of what the latch is like we we don't say that bit we just say the bit where it looks good and that's the bit that they hear yeah yeah that's the problem um and I suppose I mean yeah, we should also think about how does mastitis occur? And one of the most common reasons that mastitis occurs, no matter what has led to, to it, is engorgement. And it's that thing of, you know, no matter what has caused the engorgement, whether it's um, ill-fitting bras, whether it's a baby who's not fully draining the breast, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's potentially... Um, oversupply yeah you know, a longer period of sleep it's all of that, a sudden yeah it's that static milk that leads to the mastitis developing and going up a step yeah so the next step along from subclinical is um another sub <laughs> sub acute if you've been watching vigil yeah it's like we're all about the subs today <laughs> <laughs> different types of sub um and (laughs) oh gosh there's so many categories jenny not too many not too many i promise and it makes sense 
Because I think really we often have been calling mastitis quite a late the the quite late stage. Yeah. So when we think of mastitis, we think of acute, and actually there is subclinical and there is subacute. So subacute is that phase where many parents and I think I had subacute mastitis uh-huh. at one point during my feeding journey. It only lasted about ten hours, mm-hmm. and it was literally what others would probably call block duct. And yes. the blocked up is actually a subacute mastitis. Yeah. Because you're having that inflammation, you're having pain. Yeah. And it just might be that you need a good nursing session or pumping session to clear it. Yeah. Um, but you know, you it, it is still there's there's plug ducts, there's localized infection, mm-hmm. there's that potential for it to build up to something further. Yeah. You know, if you're not able to get a good nursing session or a good pump session then it's going to stay, it's going to become more inflamed. Yeah. There's more going on, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and you can have that feeling of engorgement and the burning, um, but it goes. And I think a lot of guys maybe don't even think of that as mastitis. No, no. It's just that kind of thing where... And so it's it's that thing where, you know, it, and it can happen sometimes when you meet a mum who has is experiencing mastitis, and when you delve into their history... They've had blocked ducts a couple of times before, and yeah. they don't put the things together. Yeah. So it's something so which, it's... if if it didn't get, if it didn't resolve, it would progress into a yeah. more. Yeah, and it's something. I think it's something where you know, if we hear from mums that they've experienced a blocked duct, that's an indication. Do a little bit of troubleshooting right. around it, and like, yeah. oh, do you know? Do you know what caused that? What was yeah. going on at that point? Yeah. Because actually taking that action at that point can avoid it becoming something more serious again. Definitely. Much easier to manage, isn't it? And also gives the yeah. mum, the parent, sorry, the feeding parent, the, the tools to be able to identify that and the warning signs to know what to watch for if it then did get more acute. Yeah, completely. And so then we come on to the next stage, and the next stage is really where most of us think of mastitis. So it's acute mastitis. Yeah. It's where you're getting the, the fever and the body aches as well. Yeah. The lethargy. And yeah. Just generally feeling like you've been run over by a bus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like really, you feel ill, you know. Yeah, yeah. And because it's become more than, whereas the subacute, it's quite a localised infection. Yeah. When it becomes acute, it is actually becoming a systemic. bit more like a systemic infection. Yeah. And, I mean, this is where you need to be careful because the next stage up from this is um, having an abscess. Yeah. That would need sort of intervention and assist needing drainage. Yeah. Um, and you're also at risk. I mean, there are guys who experience sepsis from mastitis. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's quite, it can be really serious. Yeah, very really, serious. Yeah. Really nasty. Yeah. Um, I mean, because what were your experience of mastitis? If, what did so you experience? Mine was triggered by um, the reason, reason I threw in that example of prolonged extra long session of sleep was because that's what caused my problems in the first place I always joke and to be fair it's still true now she's two and a half but I always joke that she slept five hours in a stretch once in her life and I got mastitis as a result oh my word (laughs) and that is still true now I don't think she's gone five hours even now but anyway um 
So yeah, five hours she slept for and I woke up really engorged and painful and knew immediately I needed to feed and needed to drain the breast. Um, and she did feed, you know, like a trooper. Um, but she was kind of, was she four months old or five months old by this point? So we were out of the kind of initial problems we'd had with latch and all of that. And then, yeah. so it should have, that should have, in theory, been fine, but obviously didn't drain it as well as I thought it had or whatever. And then um, later that afternoon, we'd been swimming and I'd noticed I got a little lump. And then within an hour, it got red and inflamed. And I was like, right, okay, I need to get home. So I got home and was, you know, massaging and feeding and dangle feeding and pumping and getting flipping vibrators on it to shift the blockage and I was doing all the tricks that you read about on uh, the internet and I now know I'm sure you're going to tell us when we get to that bit that it's actually changed a little bit now but um that's what I was doing frantically kind of trying to get rid of this lump and knowing that it was just going to get worse and unfortunately that's kind of what happened um I didn't ever get feverish with it I did start to feel quite unwell um but then I think I managed to clear most of it enough that I was clearing the infection but I was left with a small hard lump which eventually needed draining so they called it a galactoseal which I'd never heard of but mm-hmm. um, yeah, is is essentially a small kind of hard lump that won't that won't go, and they had to drain it with an extremely terrifying looking needle. And I'm not scared of needles in the slightest, but I mean, this was a beast. Like, wow, was you know, I don't know that sort of length and that, quite that works thick. really well on a podcast. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, I forget that you can't actually about, see me, everybody. About your hand span, you just showed me about your hand span. Yeah, you probably was about a hand span from yeah, your stretch, stretch thumb your to your little out finger, and it was really Oof. thick, beefy. Because obviously, it has to get this kind of very thick, hard, almost like gritty, syrupy stuff from the inside of the lump. Wow! And they and so drained it the off, and so I could see on... it in the the thing that they drained out I could yeah. see what it was that they drained out and so what was the time frame from when you actually had that to when you you had that drained um, drained I think it was oh do you know it was a long time ago now but it was less than two weeks right less than two weeks all in wow um, so I don't know how well that was, do you know, like, I don't know whether that is a good example of how things should be managed or a terrible example of how things should be managed, but it's my example of what happened. Yeah, isn't it terrible that we, we just don't even know, you know, it's like we can't even say for certain, oh yeah, that was managed really well or no. that was managed badly. It's like, it's bonkers that it's like things about our bodies that are just so mysterious unknown. to us. Yeah, it's yeah. true. So I don't know whether that kind of fits the criteria for requiring drainage. Um, I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't going on its own and the GP didn't know whether to refer me or not. But when I looked up what I could find about it, information I could find online and the kind of nice guidance and all of that, it was seeming to suggest that if it's not going away on its own, then it probably does need drainage because if it just sits there blocking in the breast then it's likely to cause more problems especially if you're continuing to feed yeah um, 
you know milk can accumulate around it or behind it and then it can cause difficulties in the drainage so that was the rationale I think but um certainly by then we'd diverted the infection I believe that was in the first few days you know we'd managed to kind of divert away from full-on sepsis or anything like that you know oh yeah wow so we'll come back to galactocells yes sorry bit, i've kind of thrown in a bit of spanner in the works no because it's that thing where now the word's out there we should get a uh, a definition for it it's a cyst basically yeah so it's like a little milk filled cyst and they're they're not common but they are com- completely harmless now it's interesting though because is that you can aspirate and using local anaesthetic, I hope they use local anaesthetic on you, um, and sort of allowing the contents to be removed and checked. Um, so yeah, they're thought to be caused by blockage of the milk duct, which is exactly what you think it was. Mm. Um, and they can be aspirated to avoid local surgery, but sometimes will fill up again. And so they sometimes recommend actually surgically removing. Oh, blimey. Um, no, they didn't need to do that. Thank goodness. No, no. Um, and it's interesting because you talked about how you managed your mastitis. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you mentioned about how you thought I was going to say that something was a bit wrong. So yeah. So. Um, <laughs> so should we talk about management? So yeah, it's become a bit of a thing recently. Um, talking a lot about the vibrations and using electric toothbrush and things on <laughs> sites of mastitis. But actually, we need to be careful with this because often the lump that you're feeling with the mastitis is an inflamed duct, yeah. inflamed lactocyte. And it's like, I mean, that, you know, my daughter I mean, is on crutches because she's badly sprained her ankle. Yeah. Now, her ankle's swollen. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put an electric toothbrush on her ankle to try and no. reduce that swelling to help yeah. increase her movement. Because actually, if I put an electric toothbrush on her ankle right now, her ankle would probably swell up even more and get yeah. even more angry and it would delay her recovery. Yeah. And yet that's what we've been suggesting happens yeah. to inflame parts of our breasts. Yeah, yeah. And one, once you hear it like that, you're then like, oh, God, yeah, no, yeah. of course. Well, interestingly... Because actually the risk is... Sorry. So yeah, I was say, the risk yeah. is that you use vibration... And that duct becomes more inflamed. The passageway for the milk to go through becomes even smaller. Mm. And so you actually end up with even more milk blocking the site than mm. you do with actually allowing the milk to flow freely, which is what you want to happen. Yeah. So what were you going to say? I was going to say that really interestingly, the first kind of um, six hours or so after I noticed that it was becoming really inflamed and painful... And I was then starting to get into a bit of a spiral of, oh, God, quick, get rid of this duct and doing everything possible that I could think of to get rid of this duct. Um, In that period, I was doing lots of quite vigorous massage, you know, rubbing it quite hard and really kind of going for it, trying to push that lump down towards the nipple and all those things that you see Um, and using this vibration 
vibrating toothbrush thing to try and to try and break up the lump you know that's what they say and then I had a breastfeeding yeah. counsellor who I'd been working with in the early days um, and I dropped her a text and said what had happened and she came to see me that afternoon um, and she actually looked at it and said do you know what Amy that looks really angry to me like and I'm there pummeling away at it. <laughs> she was like, I'm not sure yeah. you're doing quite the right thing here, you know? She was like, actually think about it as inflammation and treat it as inflammation instead of thinking about it as a blocked duct and treating it as a blocked duct. Because, yes, the duct is blocked, but the thing that's causing you the problem is the inflammation. So treat the inflammation yeah. instead. So she then said, oh, try ibuprofen, try, um, you know, cold and hot compresses so she said use cold compresses between the feeds and then immediately before a feed to use a warm one to try and help the milk to flow really well from that area um and she said basically if you're gonna massage very gently just more stroking the skin rather than like really kneading and pushing um Perfect. So, and I, I think it was actually that that helped it the most. I think the cold compresses were brilliant because, like you say, as soon as you start thinking about it as inflammation, which is of course what it is, then cold compresses spring immediately to your mind. NSAIDs, yeah. you know, like ibuprofen, spring immediately to your mind, and yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you're treating it in a in a totally different way. So I think that's a really helpful distinction. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, she probably saved the day, sort of, really. That gentle kind of lymphatic drainage level of massage can be really useful mm. to just help try and ease, um, and especially as babies feeding, you know, just a little bit of gentle pressure yeah. can just really help to. So almost like a mini breast compression, you're helping yeah. to raise the um, increase the pressure inside the breast around the area just to help the milk flow that bit easier yeah um and also the key thing always is to you know continue to remove the milk often and well mm. and so that's putting baby to the breast that might be doing some pumping it might be doing hand expressing mm. doing a bit of the gentle massage with hand expressing as well mm. some guys find that especially if they're really engorged an electric pump just doesn't help no. Actually, in a warm shower, doing some hand expression, yeah, the shower is good. responsive to your body is really mm. helpful. Um, I think some guys really worry about giving baby feeds from a a, a lumpy breast. Yeah, they worry um, it's going to give the baby an infection. Yeah, when actually the immunological components of milk are elevated at this point, so the baby's in pro- baby's protected. From, yeah. um, from infection and actually by keeping it flowing you're then exposing the duct to all these immunological components which are then helping oh. to reduce the risk of spreading infection further great um, and also yeah, just ensuring you know, any clothing things so my experience with um, a sort of probably you know, subacute mastitis um, was in the early days after I had um, Ellie and I was needing to pump mm. and I was trying to pump but with a a, cut, a flange that was too small oh yes and I realized I had this like ridge in mm. my breast a palpable sort of ridge where obviously I'd end up engorged I hadn't fully drained the ducts of course and uh, I I literally bought a cabbage <laughs> and put cabbage leaf in my bra took paracetamol had a big afternoon sleep and um and luckily 
we managed to get the, you know, the correct size flanges were on order already. Mm. And when they arrived, it, it, it cleared very quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's but it a was good that point. Thing of like having those, I literally had sort of shaky chills. Horrid. Really hard. And just, yeah. But then you end up as well thinking, well, am I getting all like this because I'm really tired? Yeah. You know, it's that thing that's really easy to muddle up because yeah. this was like early weeks and things. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I have to say the cabbage leaf did work. I know it's a bit, it feels a bit like an old wives' tale, but there was definitely something in that to help cool it. And I suppose because it was a cold cabbage, so it was probably pretty like bit like cold compress yeah and they say they say the shape of the cabbage leaf is quite because the thing with the cold compress is it's quite difficult to get one that kind of molds to your skin because obviously if it's cold it's been in the freezer so it's quite hard um so they say the good thing about a cabbage leaf is it's the right shape i think that might be one of the reasons it's effective and if you're on a visit with a family Mm. and you're talking about cold compresses and hot compresses and their eyes are glazing over a bit and they're there opening up Amazon on their phone and scrolling through. Um, they might not have heat packs and cold packs to hand, but they've got disposable nappies probably. Mm-hmm. And so just get them to pop, you know, pop some water on a, a, a obviously unused nappy, <laughs> um, pop it in the fridge or pop it in a Ziploc bag in the freezer. Yeah. And then in half an hour or so, that's their cold compress. Yeah boil the kettle if they're about to feed and they're sort of a bit ouchy about the idea of feeding then either recently boiled kettle or just boil the kettle up a little bit so it's not completely boiling Mm -hmm. pour that onto the nappy they have the lock away core so Mm. they're not going to be leaking everywhere and use that as a hot compress because the nappies are really shaped to go around baby's bums and mum's boobs really well and that's something you can do in the house with them yeah, to help support great. them at that point. That's a great idea. Um, and, yeah, it's just really helpful because they've always got them to hand and they can easily reuse the cold one and pop it back in the freezer again a few yeah, times. Yeah, definitely. It's a great idea. Um, and that's a good point about at... helping them to encourage to feed as well because that is often the thing. You, you do feel very, very scared of feeding because it is so painful yeah. to feed. So... Um, anything that's going to make that that barrier to feeding easier is going to help the mastitis because you do need to transfer milk. So, exactly, exactly. And as you said already, you know, cold compress after feeding, hot compress just before they feed, because if you think about it, you're wanting the cold compress to help sort of help shrink all those blood vessels, help reduce that inflammation. inflammation. And then the heat beforehand to help dilate, to open up, to help the milk flow yeah. really easily. Okay. Um, and yeah, and just sort of the gentle massage, like fingertip, lymphatic massage, no big poking things. And I mean, you could even still use a bit of vibration, but just very light, gentle Very strokes. gentle. And if You're it's painful, don't do it. digging in. Exactly, exactly. Also looking at varying positions, Okay. And just going back to those basics, you know, how many times have we seen parents who you talk through chins to, mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, they're latching baby on, they've got baby in the crook of their arm, they're putting their mouth directly to the nipple. Mm-hmm. So you have to be at, remember to do, you know, looking at them having nose to nipple, chin dug right into the breast before mm-hmm. they even open their mouth, 
So it's such a short journey. Mm. Looking at using things like the flip or looking at using things like the laid back technique. Yeah. Um, all of these things to help help sort of secure baby and mum into a better um position, yeah. which is easy for them to um replicate. Um, and always yeah, letting them get into that position themselves, guide yeah. them. Yeah. But don't be handsy. Yeah. No, let them oh, actually God, no. get there themselves. Yeah. Um, and what you can always do is take a few photos on mum's phone or parents' phone. That's a phone. great tip as yeah, well. One, one from over their shoulder, so it's always like their view of where baby yeah. is. One from the side, so that their family afterwards can help them with like, oh yes, this looks like the same, same. position. Yeah. Because it so often happens that thing of not knowing quite how, how did I do this? How did I get them comfy before? That's a great tip. Um... And so do you want to go through the the nice guidelines as well? And we'll just see if there's anything yeah. extra that we want to... Yeah, I mean, I think it's um it's really... It, it is very similar to what you're saying, really. Um, in terms of the management, which is what we're talking about now, yeah, they're saying the same thing. Reassure the woman that the breast should return to normal size, shape and function after treatment. Um, and I think that's an important thing, actually, because I think a lot of people think of mastitis as this big terrifying thing that's going to mean that they have to stop breastfeeding. So to kind of reassure them that this is quite common, lots of people do go through it. And within you know a few days, in all likelihood, this is going to return to total normal and you're going to get back to breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, analgesics um, and compresses. It actually says about warm compresses, but I think the cold compress isn't in here, but I think that's a really useful addition um yeah advise them to continue breastfeeding including from the affected breast if they are if the breastfeeding is too painful advise them to express the milk by hand or with a breast pump until you're able to resume breastfeeding um and i think importantly as you said make sure that it's the correct size flange make sure that the milk is actually yeah. flowing from that breast with the breast pump um what i would add as well is that they need to pump at the same frequency as so yeah. probably really at least every couple of hours yeah because I think sometimes you hear that advice and you just kind of go oh okay and that if you're not familiar with it you may be looking at waiting until you're engorged to pump yeah by the time you're engorged you're supply slowing down and you're going to be making it a lot worse yeah definitely it's a good point um it's saying what well, the one thing not ideal in here. If the affected breast is not completely empty after feeding, advise the woman to express the remaining milk by hand or using a breast pump. Now, what a sentence! Like for a start, your breast is never completely empty, so I don't even know what yeah. that would mean, even if you could figure it out. And then to add into that, you're expecting the parent to be able to know whether their breast is full or empty, like. As a breastfeeding parent, I have no idea how much milk is remaining in my breast after my child finishes feeding because they are very much in charge of how much they take on that feed. I I don't know. I genuinely yeah. don't know. I have no idea. So that's kind of a stressful thing to tell them, really, isn't it? Um, I think the more important thing is: are they getting a good latch? Are they transferring milk well? Is it an exactly. efficient milk transfer? Which is something that a skilled breastfeeding yeah. assessment can tell you. Um, yeah. It says if the woman does not want to continue breastfeeding give advice on stopping which of course what you would do if if they wanted to stop um yeah we should do an episode on stopping breastfeeding actually because that's a whole different topic yeah. um 
So that one's coming up, folks. <laughs> and then it says, identify and manage any predisposing factors for mastitis. For example, advise them to rest and avoid wearing a bra, especially at night. If there's nipple soreness or damage, then see the clinical knowledge summary on breastfeeding problems for a more detailed information on management. But essentially, if there's nipple soreness or damage, you know this is a latch issue. So they're going to need a really yeah. skilled breastfeeding support there to prevent this recurring. So even once you do, to resolve it in the first place and then to prevent it recurring. Yeah. So if there's nipple soreness, you need very, to get help. Very well to get to this point before I say the words... Tongue tie. <laughs> look at yeah. Consider checking for tongue tie. Yeah. The um tabby the tabby tool is fantastic uh-huh. to look at as a really straightforward pictorial guide you can discuss with parents, and it gives you that bit of basis to your judgment as Great. to whether further assessment for tongue tie is needed. I'm going to link um, to that tool. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. No, completely. It's a really really good one. It's really helpful. Um, It also says prescribe an oral antibiotic if the woman has a nipple fissure that is infected. If symptoms have not improved or are worsening after 12 to 24 hours despite effective milk removal. I'm not sure what that means. And or breast milk culture is positive. So obviously if you've got a positive breast culture for for bacteria or if you've got an infected nipple fissure that you can see um then you're obviously going to want to and then the other one is if yeah. symptoms have not improved or are worsening after 12 to 24 hours despite effective milk removal you're probably not going to know how effective the milk removal is really in a real life scenario yeah. it's going to be difficult for you to know that that thing i think um yeah and then it gives some I advice about going... which antibiotics to treat with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is some talk about using um, probiotics as well. However, the probiotics are recommended in here. I don't think they're ones that you'd just be able to pick up right, over okay. the um, counter. There's particular probiotics that are used as treatments for yeah, specific strains, Um and whether these are, I don't even know if these would be something that could be prescribed by the GP. It's interesting, there's a bit in here about the probiotics. Um, but again, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're things that they recommend are Lactanza hereditan, which is produced in Spain, uh, Chiara, which is pr- produced in Australia, right. and Target B2 from USA. But as I don't know how easy it would be to get those. Um, yeah, you but might again, struggle. it's that thing of looking. Yeah. So, so I suppose what we're saying with that is antibiotics, if they're indicated, but that we're not reaching for antibiotics really until we're sure that we need to, because of course then we end up with a cascade of other potential consequences. You know that antibiotics can cause obviously all drugs have side effects but also you know antibiotics famously cause problems with infant gut as well if you're a lactating yeah. mom you know and we can then see thrush in the baby or you know whatever else cause causes issues for the baby so so we're trying to avoid antibiotics as much as we can um and hopefully yeah. the key here is early intervention which hopefully is the message people have got from this this episode 
the earlier in this chain you can intervene really the quicker and easier the resolution is for the parent exactly and i hope this is a really good starting point for anyone wanting to have a look at reflecting on this for their um for some cpd or anything yeah um it's one of those things which yeah it's well worth a deeper dive to it um, and also, yeah, because we, we do this podcast, we, we know that we've got a range of listeners from all different backgrounds. You're right. Yes, I've just spotted something in the NICE guidance that's surprised me extremely and I think will surprise you. Okay. Under what advice should I give to prevent recurrence? It talks about breastfeeding technique. It talks about how to express um, and all of these sensible things. It talks about how to stop if they want to stop and then it says give advice on hygiene measures such as thorough and frequent hand washing great ensuring that the breast pump is washed thoroughly with soap and hot water and air dried after each use great yeah rinsing the nipple area with water before and after each feed um it's one of those things where a bit of me thinks it's not going to do any harm i think that might be because one of the most common um, bugs that causes um, mastitis is often the Staphylococcus aureus, which we know is on our skin naturally. I okay. would guess that would be where the recommendation comes from. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, it does sound a little bit... I was random. just really shocked by that. <laughs> Surprised <laughs> me. I thought, like, I can't see myself, like, rinsing my breast after every feed and... And before every Um, feed as well. I suppose maybe if the infection was actually in the nipple, in the crack. Exactly. Exactly. It's that thing of trying to help prevent infection from going further into the breast, isn't it? Of course. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Well, this is why we have you Um, here. But no, so as I I was saying, um, yeah, look at if you want to do um, a reflection on this and get some CPD, um, then, you know, do ping us um, your reflection and we can send you out a little certificate for it and also it'd just be really interesting for us to get a bit of about knowledge about where you guys are at and yeah, yeah. how much you know what other things you'd like us to cover not just from the point of view of breastfeeding but generally as um, health visitors and things we know it's not an easy time at the moment for you guys we know it's um, really tough across yeah. the, the country yeah, so any way that we can try and help you build your knowledge, build your um, confidence and save your and just time. help keep you up to date, then let us know. You know. We always are very open to hearing about any queries or any professional issues you've got coming up that we could maybe do a podcast about because the chances are if it's something you're having an issue with, there's someone else somewhere in the country exactly. having the same concern Definitely. and having the same conversation with their teams. Definitely. Um, and you can do that by emailing us, I am a health visitor at gmail.com, or you can ping us a message on Instagram or Twitter, which we are at I am a HV, or even via our Facebook page, I am a health visitor. Um, kids are back at school now, so I've got no excuse this week. I will be updating our social media <laughs> and getting fully up to speed with that. We've had 
annual leave. I've got broke. I've literally got broken rib. I've got one child on crutches. So it's not been it's the been best a of bad a few week weeks for us. For you, hasn't it? No. Um, lesson learned. I'm not cleaning the bathroom ever again. Well, I mean, I take that as a win. To be honest, put that in the win <laughs> column. Yeah, if only I just could have got that. Yeah, slightly less, slightly less pain. That would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just that thing of you. Know, I know. I was an A&E nurse. I know it causes pain, but everything came in four-hour segments. The pain was an A&E nurse. Whereas this has been <laughs> oh. about six days now, and it's still really sore. Bless you. <sighs> it's fine. I'm smiling through. You're doing amazing. <laughs> Literally amazing. Superwoman. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, thanks so anyway. much for listening, everyone. Um, thanks for tuning in. And do get in touch if there's anything else we can help with. Definitely. Take care for now, guys. Bye. Bye.